Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome back to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach Christopher McCullough. And we're delighted to continue in our, with our in-studio guest co-host. That's Clarice Connolly. Clarice, tell people about yourself. Yeah, I'm a, a women's empowerment coach located in San Diego. I work with people worldwide. And I am really excited. I also have my own podcast on Friday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So you can find me there and learn more about women's beliefs and things that no one actually talks about. Who really? Stuff nobody talks about about yeah. women? I need mm-hmm. to listen. What's the name of the show? <laughs> and how do we find it? It's Heart Empowered Women. Heart Empowered Women. It's located on WS Radio as well. All right. Uh, we're delighted to spend our entire hour today with Craig Weber. He is an expert in the field of conversational capacity. Uh, he's the founder of the Weber Consulting Group, an alliance of experts committed to helping people build more resilient healthy, and agile organizations and communities. He's worked with leaders from all over, everything from Kaiser Permanente to the Southern Legislative Conference, the company Cliff Bar, and the Georgia Health Policy Center at Georgia State University. Uh, his book, which has been out for a few years now and which should be on yours and my shelf, is Conversational Capacity, the Key to Building Successful Teams that Perform When the Pressure is On from McGraw-Hill. Available wherever fine <laughs> books are sold. And he's joining us today from the high desert of Lancaster, California. Um, just before the break, we were talking about some of the symptoms in organizations and kind of how to address in organizations this lack of conversational capacity, or if I, if I heard it right, the low conversational capacity and trying to get to the sweet spot of candor and curiosity, mm-hmm. sort of a, a moment there. I guess, I guess what I'm interested in is more how, it, how you deal with it on the interpersonal level. I mean, ultimately all organizations and communities are a system of relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, maybe an easy sort of entree to that topic is what's the first thing you look at or first thing you take on in building conversational capacity with individuals? Craig Weber. Yeah, great question. I think first off, getting people to recognize there is a sweet spot, right? This idea that candor and curiosity can be balanced, I think, is an idea. And then getting people to recognize those tendencies that tend to pull them out of the sweet spot and the situations in which it tends to occur. So one of the things I'll often work with a client to do is to develop a trigger journal where they're actually noticing moments in life where their good intentions and their actual behaviors move in different directions, not because they're stupid or don't care, but because they're being triggered. And we've talked about that need to minimize where, you know, playing it safe overwhelms your good intentions. And that candor tends to be the first casualty. We start to water down our point, cover up our views, bring stuff up in the hallway. Those are all minimizing behaviors. The other tendency we want people to be more conscious of is not the need to minimize. It's the need to win, to be right, to get your way, to sell your view. And when the need to be right or to win gets triggered we tend to chuck curiosity out the window and go into raw, unadulterated candor mm-hmm. and to, to start engaging in some of those behaviors you so aptly described earlier, you know, talking over people, interrupting, not listening, uh, pulling in people who agree with us while dismissing people who don't, in mm-hmm. extreme cases, hyperbole, and even lying. And so the first thing you want to do is get people to start recognizing, where do I have trouble working in the sweet spot? So very often people will have a dominant tendency, as uh, Clarice, you uh, pointed out earlier, 
you know, some people grew up in a family where being nice is the dominant norm. And so in the workplace, candor sometimes is a harder struggle for them. Um, there's a gentleman I talk about in the book who I worked with years ago, whose nickname on his team was the human flamethrower. <laughs> he said he, he grew up in a family just the opposite, where you know, rabid religious and political debate was normal. And yeah. so he just loved to get into it. And so you'll often find people sitting at a table genuinely trying to work well together, but they can bounce off each other a little bit. So that's the first step. Recognize those tendencies. Start paying attention to how and when they affect your behavior. And then there's a set of skills you can learn, not just for recognizing it, but for managing those reactions in a more disciplined way. And when you and your team start, do you start on the individual level or do you take like a group of folks into a, a room and say, listen up, <laughs> you, guys aren't, you guys aren't telling the truth in this meeting I just observed? Or how, how do you approach it? Yeah, that, a lot of times it's as a team, right? Because that's where these behaviors kind of play out. Sometimes that can be a small team, just a few people. I've worked with um, a high-tech firm where we just had three of the founders in the room working with them and how they interact and communicate. Uh, we've done very large groups uh, where it's not just an organization, but sometimes even clients and customers are in the room. So it kind of varies. Uh, but the fundamental skills are the same. You know, how do you get people to take personal responsibility for working in the sweet spot as they engage with other people across the table? So there's teamwork, but there's also personal work. And in fact, in my book, there's a chapter on how to build these skills and actually break it down that way. What's the personal work you need to do to manage your reactions and stay in that sweet spot? And then what's the work we need to do as a team to bake this way of operating into the meetings we're having, the decisions we're making, the changes we're grappling with? I love that piece about the personal work that people need to do. Mm -hmm. I think um, as a coach, a lot of the work that I'm working with or, or hearing is a lot to do with the adult children of dysfunctional families. And what I hear and what you're saying is, is, you know, the relationship to authority figures. And what do you think is like the most predominant sign or, or most predominant symptom that people actually have? a trigger around authority figures in re in regard to the relationships. Yeah, that's a huge one, right? And um, authority tends to trigger people out of the sweet spot towards the minimizing side of the spectrum. That's not always the case. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, people tend to leave the sweet spot when there's a, a an, an air on the minimizing side. So mm -hmm. candor starts to suffer when the boss is in the room or somebody. It doesn't even have to be the boss. It can be someone we deeply respect, an expert on a particular subject. And suddenly we're a little more guarded and a little more cautious around them. Mm -hmm. um, once in a while, you'll find someone that's got kind of wired the other way. I worked with the CEO a while back who said, I'm just the opposite. I tend to be very careful with my team, but I'm really aggressive with the board. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I just go off on the board. I've almost been fired a couple times, but I'm almost, I'm, I'm very, very overly cautious with my team. And I said, where does that come from? And he said, I don't know. And he thought about it and he says, you know, I was bullied as a child. And so I'm always afraid of coming across like a bully. And so that makes me overly, I think, you know, I'm not nearly as candid as I need to be with my team, but my tendency is more on the other side. So with the board, I just cut loose. And so to your point, you know, some, you know, fairly, momentous experiences in his early life still playing out in the way he's leading his business and trying to uh, work with others. It's, um, it seems like we're almost getting into psychological territory. Um, when you, when you look at the, the bridge of conversational capacity, you know, what I like about it is it involves a lot of things, right? Team dynamics or group dynamics, um, leadership, our relationship to authority, interpersonal relationships. Uh, I'm wondering how you see it mapping on with coaching. 
In other words, you know, I think I think your point, uh, Clarice, was a good one, but almost verges on the psychological, right? Mm-hmm. We learn to be this way or that way with our family, and then we bring that to the we bring that same dynamic, usually dysfunctional, into the boardroom. What do you see with regard to coaching, Craig? That that how can this conversational capacity be applied? How is it useful? Why is it important? Great question. I think that you know a lot of people struggle with uh, both the awareness piece and the skill building piece, and having a coach who can help you, for instance. Stay focused, uh, who can help you perhaps rea- uh, recognize behavioral reactions you don't even see yourself because they're so natural, they're so automatic, they're mm-hmm. so knee jerk, uh, can be really helpful. I think having a coach help you put together a learning strategy for how you're going to develop these skills and stick with it, mm-hmm. all really key. So I think coaching is really important. And whether that's, you know, what I'll often do in an organization is have people learning partners, right? So you've got somebody who you're going to work with over time to help you kind of stick with it, to keep learning and to keep pushing your skills. I think in some ways even more powerful is to have a coach there to help you. Nice. I totally agree. I think that that's the piece that moved me monumentally is just having someone to reflect to you how you're actually showing up and how you don't actually see yourself. So do you recommend that people, when you work with a company or you're you're bringing this to someone that they, you know, take on a coach, like that's something that you kind of send as a recommendation? Yeah, very often, especially if it's um, somebody who's got a, a fairly, let's say, deeply ingrained tendency, say a CEO <laughs> that's got a really strong wind tendency and realizes I'm encouraging my people to steal from the company, but I can't just flick a switch and make that behavioral reaction go away. And even if I did, there'd still be some reluctance because you know, for so long I've behaved this way. So getting someone like that, having a, an individual coach to help them can be a really powerful tool uh, to help start, you know, reining in that behavior and start to operate in a more balanced way that actually pulls people towards the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that's internal, you know, so, uh, you know, in some of my you know, larger client organizations, they have internal cadre of coaches who are doing work with executives on this front. Nice. Uh, for years, I was in an executive program at the Boeing Leadership Center, and we actually partnered. We had the coaches in the workshop with me when we did it, and then they were working with coaches beyond. So that was a that was a really mm-hmm. elegant uh, setup. Yeah. You not only got exposed to the ideas, but there was an internal set of coaches people could lean on for ongoing support and advice and help. Although I got to say that when they're internal, they're already subject to those same dynamics. So it may be actually more useful to have an external coach, right? Because some yeah. of them are already being like not fully candor, bringing their <laughs> candor as a coach. Um, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to uh, tell you this, but our time has flown by. Obviously, a Great discussion, very interesting topic. The book is Conversational Capacity. The man is Craig Weber. We've got about a minute left, Craig, and I want to give it to you. What would you like to leave us with as a parting shot or parting thought today? What would you have 30,000 or so coaches know or think about today? Well, I think as you're working with people, be thinking about the subject of conversational capacity and how might the problems you're helping them wrestle with be a symptom of the lack of conversational capacity. That'd be one thing I'd hope. And then there are some practical skills, uh, a mindset you can actually adopt to help people learn to stay in the sweet spot. And so if you're interested in learning more, the book is available. It's really about learning and making learning more important than being comfortable or being right. And then there's some actual behaviors for balancing candor and curiosity you can help people acquire. You know, so uh, actually you can track, you can measure, you can reward these behaviors. So it takes conversation out of the foo-foo territory and makes it something a little more rigorous. That's why I use the word discipline. Mm-hmm. I also describe this as a conversational martial art where your opponent isn't the other person. It's your ego. And how do you put learning in the driver's seat and kick your ego to the curb? I think those are really critical. 
That was brilliant, and I'm uh, I'm a dork. I'm an idiot. I can't tell time. <laughs> I um, just realized that the number that I was looking at was inaccurate, and so I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was a brilliant and beautiful completion to our conversation, and we've got some more time. So fantastic! <laughs> I'm going to let Clarice talk while I be embarrassed over in the corner here. <laughs> I can't even recover. That's so good. So how did you, um, how did this all get started, may I ask? Yeah, um, I went to school, got degrees in um, organizational development uh, and and organizational psychology. And I got really interested in the research of Chris Argerus and Don Schoen and their work on organizational learning. Um, And began playing around with ways of making that research even more user-friendly. Um, and so that's kind of how this started. I really fell in love with the basic research and then wanted to make it something people could take away and apply even more rapidly. So that's where the core concepts are coming from. Worked for internally after my, uh, finished my education in Australia at the State Bank of Queensland for a while. Oh. And then in the mid-90s set up my own consulting practice here in the U.S. and began consulting work. It's amazing the the journeys that people take. What it strikes me that you, you know, anytime we set ourselves up as an expert in the in an area, people are always kind of looking at us with a, a jaundiced view. What have you found in your own life that I guess I guess it's a two-part question. The first is how what do you struggle with in getting to your sweet spot of both candor and curiosity because you're the expert, so I would assume that, you know, at some point you feel like, oh, I've seen it all, heard it all uh, before. The the second question, if you're willing to hold two, is um, what's next for you? What are you working on developing now? Yeah, I think you know, the first question, I think an expert always seems weird saying that. I don't feel like an expert. I do feel like someone who's maybe a little farther down the path than others, but it's amazing to me how often my need to minimize or my need to win trigger me. So you never really win the battle, right? It's a constant uh, – struggle to not let your emotional reactions in the heat of the moment, you know, separate your good intentions from your actual behavior. And so I have more and more and more respect for just how easily those two things part ways. Um, I do hope that uh, I'm better at reacting to other people in difficult circumstances in a more balanced way than I used to, but it's still a struggle. So I think that really breeds humility. I think, you know, that's a key point. Um, in the book, I talk about the sweet spot being more than just candor and curiosity. Uh, I think it's candor and courage on the one side and curiosity and humility on the other. And being aware of your foibles and just how easily you trigger is a great way to breed more humility. Mm. Uh, what am I working on now? I'm working on a, a follow-on book um, called uh, – the working title is Stand Up, Speak Out, Make a Difference. Nice. And it's a practical guide for building your conversational capacity while doing meaningful work. So if you're going to practice these skills and build this discipline, it might as well be on stuff that really matters. And so how do you look at the workplace as a dojo for building this conversational martial art and look for relationships that need to be improved, processes that just aren't working too well, maybe meetings that just aren't really hitting the mark, and then doing useful meetings meaningful work around those issues as a way to practice your skills. So you're kind of combining two things at once. And so there's three sections of the book. One's on building your awareness, as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. The second is on building your mindset. And the last section is on building your skills. Uh, do you have trainings? It's, I, I find that myself and probably most of our listeners are going to be like really focused on this, at least for the day or two that you know, this stays with us. What's the, what are some opportunities for us to increase or, or continue our learning 
about this stuff? Do you offer seminars, workshops, or any sort of training, or do we just read the book and then reread it every <laughs> few weeks <laughs> to, to get it in, in really in our brain? Yeah, and there's you know different levels. Uh, reading the book is certainly one way to go. I tried to make that as uh, you know user friendly and as readable as possible. I wanted it to be a book that was fun to read. So uh, the feedback is it reads more like a novel than a business book. So oh, I really nice. like that. Yeah, uh, I've got an e-course on my website, which is something you know self-paced um, that people can use to uh, kind of learn more about these skills and practice them. Uh, if people are interested in a workshop, they can uh, drop me a line and uh, we can talk about setting something up. So it ranges from reading the book to an e-course to a full-on workshop. Okay, I'm great. I'm gonna be that girl. I'm really sorry. Um, is there a quiz to identify? What, uh, whether you're more bal- uh, curiosity or candor, I'm over here trying to figure it out. You're right. I'm, I'm very lost. I think I'm, think I'm, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty balanced. Is there a quiz? How do I find yeah, out? Yeah, not necessarily a quiz. <laughs> it's a little more complex, but I think an this, interesting this thing isn't would cosmopolitan, be- <laughs> right? Sorry, sorry, Greg, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. It's a good question, though. And I think I, I'd venture to guess you are pretty balanced most of the time. So the interesting question would be where have been those circumstances in my life where I've lost that balance, where I either got really upset and the curiosity went out the window and I found myself perhaps saying things I didn't like. I would say, you know, the winner's regret driving home from work is why did I say something? The minimizer's regret driving home from work is why didn't I say something? Right. And so you might reflect back on where are some circumstances, personally and professionally, where that's been a challenge for me. And then what was the trigger? Nice. So I think those are some interesting questions to explore. Where do I find myself losing discipline and flying out of the sweet spot despite my genuinely good intentions? And what's going on there? That's a really, you know, the old uh, Greek adage, the unexamined life is unworth living. That's an interesting lens through which to start paying attention. And in essence, that's a trigger journal. Yeah. I, I love the notion of a trigger journal. And, you know, uh, I also like what you brought, Clarice, about how do we know which one? And man, that you know, what's, what's your dominant regret is such a great and yeah. easy um, measurement, right? Because it's not only, my suspicion is it's not only when you're coming home from work, right? But like when you're coming home from a date, when you're coming home for, when you're mm-hmm. coming home and like what's about to happen with my spouse or family. Am exactly. I, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. The same patterns play out in our personal lives. In fact, in some ways, our tendencies are even more on more, are, are, What's the better way to phrase this? Your, your tendencies are on greater display in your personal relationships <laughs> nice. in some respects. So mm-hmm. that's a – I'm doing work this uh, weekend, a, a, a retreat with a group of CEOs and their spouses mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. We're going to be talking about that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's exactly right. So you, all – circumstances, personal and professional, provide you an opportunity to get better at both recognize your tendencies and managing them if you choose to do that. Yeah, and that's the how you do one thing is how you do everything. I like that. Yeah. It's also, I really appreciate the the notion that we amplify it at home because I'm looking at, you know, in I've got a few roles and in most of them I'm the big dog, right? I'm the, I do some training, I'm the CEO of an organization and I'm uh, the a coach, right, where with my level of whatever it is, expertise or experience or age or something, you know, I'm often bringing the the authority with me. And then I go home, right? And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm speaking to my children or my wife and, you know, they're like, I don't know who you think you are, but you just keep walking, pal. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, I... I struggle with that. Do you do you do much work like when you're working with these CEOs and their spouses? Do you do much work on the difference between work and um, home, or is it like I just heard my friend Clarice say, 
you're kind of the same in both places, or you're dealing with the same stuff, just different audiences. Yeah, working with like with the spouses, we definitely talk about this. And you'll often hear people are one way at work and very different. So a number of the CEOs I work with say, I'm in win mode at work. I'm very, um, um, mm-hmm. candor's no problem. I'm really pushing hard. I'm making decisions. I'm almost aggressive. And then I go home, it's like someone flicked a switch. And I don't want to make a decision. I totally go with the mm-hmm. flow. And, you know, where do you want to go to dinner? I don't care. What do you want to do this weekend? doesn't matter to me. You know, so right. it's amazing sometimes how the context can determine which tendency takes over. So you're absolutely right. Some people, on the other hand, just have one tendency. It seems to drive them no matter what. The human flamethrower was certainly one at home and in the workplace. Uh, he was uh, candor was not a problem for him. I'm, I'm wanting to follow this up and be mindful of the time. So um, one of the one of the things I'm working with right now, and I was Clarice and I were talking about this on the way in, is um, I've got a client who's very interested in building a, a an empire and a and an empire for sort of creative like arts people, and um, has always relied on like uh, while this person is the sort of the fire and the and the outgoing part of the relationship, has always relied on the uh, uh, the spouse to be sort of the rock and the steadiness, and then recently came home and the rock and steady spouse said, "I'm not sure I want to be with you anymore. I'm not sure I love you anymore." Is the when you see a dynamic like that? What's the, I mean, it seems like we've got, you know, the classic sort of there's one who's been in the role of the candor and one who's been in the curiosity, right? Or, or said another way, one's way on one side of the candor and one's been way on the other. How, mm-hmm. do, you, how do you find a meeting? What do, you, what do you arrange when you've got two people that seemingly are opposed like that? Is the question clear? Yeah, I think, and the personal front, like if it's a relationship, that's sort of out of my uh, wheelhouse, if you will. So uh, I tend to work with organizations and teams. So the first thing I'd suggest is get in with a therapist and see if you can't work that out. But I think you see the same problem occurs in the workplace where you've got people who need to work together who have dramatically different styles. Right, you know, right. What feels like a great meeting to me horrifies you and vice versa, right? Exactly, right. So the flamethrower, for example, um, this guy was, you know, his, both his parents were attorneys. They argued like crazy at the dinner table and he loved it. But he had two colleagues from Korea and one from Hong Kong on the team who were having a very difficult time engaging with him. Mm-hmm. They're all smart people. They all care. They just have a different way of thinking about what a good conversation looks like. And so coming up with some common ground rules, what I'll often help a client do is put together a conversational code of conduct for how we will work together and communicate despite the fact that we've got some very strong differences and to actually see those differences as a strength, not a weakness. And so you can actually operationalize this and come up with a set of ground rules. So the flamethrower, for example, is going to be really good on the candor side of the scale. What he needs to dramatically ramp up is the use of the curiosity skills I teach groups. Uh, folks with a strong minimizing tendency need to focus on the candor skills. So awareness helps you recognize when you're leaving the sweet spot. Sweet spot pardon me. The skills help you play, you know, uh, bring what's missing back into the conversation. And so there's a mindset we haven't talked about, which is, you know, what, what needs to be more important to us than being comfortable or being right? It's that idea of learning, mm-hmm. getting smarter, and making the best decision. And if that's the North Star, the second thing I help people start focusing on is the idea of pooling perspectives to expand and improve your thinking. You don't tend to expand or improve how you're looking at an issue by talking to the people who agree with you. It's that person who doesn't that's most likely to spark an aha moment. So there's this key idea in my work, and there's an article on my website if people are interested in learning more, called Leaning Into Difference. Mm, Critical. 
Yeah. And so I think the problem is our need to minimize and our need to win tend to get triggered when we're talking to people who disagree with us. So we better have those things reined in or it's we it, we lose the ability to learn from difference. One of the things that I, I when you were talking that touched on um, the differences piece is I, I've been coached before on how the things that irritate you most about somebody else are the things that are like that resonate with you about something that's irritating for you or that you wish you could be more of. Do you run into that often? Yeah, sometimes that could be a trigger, right? What's triggering me about someone else is that, uh, you know, they're behaving in a way that I tend to behave or in a way that, you, yeah, so exactly right. Nice. I, almost, I almost see my own behavior reflected in them and then get irritated at them for it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And so well, I think, I think that we're really actually, out of time, time this time. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. The, the website is weberconsultinggroup.net. The book is Conversational Capacity. Any 10-second uh, 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 last thoughts for us today, Mr. Craig Weber? <laughs> I do, whether you're coaching, whether you're a leader trying to build an organization or team, I think conversational capacity is an underappreciated aspect of the challenge. So I just hope that people find these ideas useful. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out. Great. Thank you so much for your work. Thanks for an enlivening conversation. And thank you, Clarice Connolly, for being with us in studio today. Uh, that's another edition of The Coaching Show. We speak to you each and every week uh, with people out on the cutting edge of coaching or just plain useful information. Thanks for tuning in, dear listener. And we will talk to you next week. Next week. Your search for the right office furniture will be done when you walk into Shore for sure. In our 46,000 square foot warehouse, you are sure to find the right new or used desk and chair for your home and office. Trusted for over 40 years, Shore is proven to provide great value, quality, and service. From free space planning to our white glove delivery service, you are sure to leave happy and satisfied. We're a family-owned business that will treat you like family for sure. Se habla español. Do you want to be a professional coach? Are you in business trying to make a real difference with people you manage or work with? Have you started a coaching practice that isn't quite getting off the ground? Get the skills you need to be a successful coach today with the Coach's Training Program from Accomplishment Coaching. The Coach's Training Program will show you how to help others focus and be more fulfilled. Whether you want to improve your company's bottom line or create a thriving coaching practice, Accomplishment Coaching can give you the distinctions and practices you need to coach others effectively today. Accomplishment Coaching has spent six years developing a cutting-edge coaches training program that will have you ready to coach people professionally in just 12 months, and you don't have to take time off work to do it. To find out more about the coaches training program, just call 1-888-548-6813. That's 1-888-548-6813. 6813. Hi, Scale Listener. This is David Finkel, co-host with Jeff Hoffman of Scale Your Business. I wanted to let you know that our newest book, Scale, was just released and to encourage you to get your copy. The book will give you seven proven principles to grow your business and get your life back. Scale will help you work less by getting your business to produce more. Get your copy online or at your local bookseller. For more information, visit us online at scaleyourbusinesstoolkit.com. Cybersecurity is the fastest growing job sector. 
The San Diego Mayor's Cyber Cup encourages kids to consider computer security as an interesting course of study and a valuable career path. Securing our eCity helps lead this youth competition to create interest and awareness among students and their schools. The San Diego Mayor's Cyber Cup. Learn more at securingourecity.org or call 619-630-2444. Do you love wine, but it doesn't love you back in the morning? Then it's time to try Alcotox, the ultimate hangover cure. Alcotox is a dietary supplement that reduces the harmful side effects of alcohol and it benefits all alcohol consumers, not just those who occasionally overindulge. So now, for less than the cost of a drink, you can wake up hangover-free. To learn more, go to vinvillage.com and let Alcotox make hangovers a thing of the past. 